Father, thank you that you love us. You love us, the mess that we are. Pray, God, that you would just bless Pastor Chris. He speaks to us. Open the eyes of our heart. Let us search our souls. And Holy Spirit, speak to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You all may be seated this morning if we have not met. It is a privilege and a pleasure to meet you. My name is Chris Carroll, uh, and you are in a church, and it is Sunday. Just in case you were curious. Um, I want to reiterate one of the announcements this morning because I think it's so, so important. Uh, We have a class that is starting on February 8th. It is specifically designed for those who teach at Firewheel or who desire to teach at Firewheel, or maybe at some point in time in your life, you're like, that would be really neat that I would be able to know how to study the Bible and then teach it. And so we have a course that is starting. It is a pretty big commitment. Uh, The first semester, we're going to be going through the book of Genesis. You will learn how to not only study a book of the Bible in context, but you will learn how to teach it. In fact, you'll be required to teach. Uh, and in and through the process, some of us will, will be teaching over in children's or student ministry or maybe in a Sunday morning gathering. Maybe one day you'll be up here at the pulpit. We all have different capacities and things that we do as far as teaching. But this is a class that is designed to expose you to a process of Bible study, uh, Bible, uh, then Bible teaching. Uh, and it's, I'm telling you, it's going to radically change the way you view the scriptures to the point where you can airdrop into any book of the Bible, quickly get your bearings, study it, and then prepare to teach. And by the time you complete each semester, you'll get a certificate of completion that you can literally take anywhere. You go to another church and they go, well, do you have any ability to teach? You can go, I have this certificate of completion. I not only studied the process of how to study a book of the Bible, but to teach it. And so I have this, this wealth of information. I have these commentaries and, and I'm telling you, you're going to be a resource no matter where you land. So we're going to pour into you. We've made a commitment to cultivate you. And this is one of the ways we're going to do it. February 8th. Um, now question for you, have you ever been broke? I mean like flat broke. Some of you are like, hey, that, <laughs> you're talking about me this morning. Um, well, when we were in seminary, we were so broke. So you're going to go, how broke were you? Okay, there we go. In seminary, we were so broke. <laughs> we had anxiety over the fluctuating cost of Top Ramen, okay? We were so broke, we wish we had two nickels to rub together. We were so broke, I wish somebody would give me a penny for my thoughts. We were so broke that I really wished I could use Monopoly money to pay my mortgage. So all joking aside, we were broke. You all get the picture? Uh, And at the time, I was doing landscaping. I'd started a little landscaping business after being unemployed for like four and a half months uh, and had to do something. And so I started cutting grass and and mowing and, and basically just any odd job I could pick up. But there was a point where everything went dormant, and so did our bank account. And so I needed to find some type of income uh, oh, by the way, my wife was pregnant, and <laughs> we already had a couple of kids because I really thought this thing through. Uh, and so I became a valet, and I valet parked cars, and I would go to school during the day, and then at night, I would, I would go to these different events. And, and uh, one particular week, I got scheduled to the, like, the most lame duck events. I mean, it was just awful. Like one night, I parked one car, and the guy gave me a $10 bill. That's all I made that week. And so just imagine how much I felt like a, a night and shining armor walking in and going, honey, this is what I made this week. Click, click. And uh, we realized it wasn't enough to pay anything. And, and I looked at her. I said, mama, you know what? Just take that. She had a coupon to get her nails done. I was like, take this 10 bucks, go get your nails done, get a cup of coffee, just enjoy. 
because it doesn't really matter anyway. We're not going to pay our bills, so just have fun. Um, not always the best philosophy, but when you're going crazy, you're just crazy, right? So uh, she walks out the door, and then, and then she goes, and she drives to the nail salon, and she's getting out, and she opens that abyss of what's called a purse. Guys, don't ever, 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 I repeat, ever go in the purse, because you don't, ugh, just weird things in there, but a gust of wind, I'm not kidding you, like she went to put her keys in there, and a gust of wind, like there was receipts and probably diapers and wipes in there and all kinds of other experiments, and then the wind picked up that $10 bill. Like, it left everything else alone, but it blew it out, and it blew it away. And so here she is running through the parking lot, no! And people are thinking like a child's blowing through the air, you know? They're like, what is going, what is she chasing? And in fact, it blew, like, through the parking lot and then across the major intersection, and it just blew away. And uh, there was a person that stopped and came alongside and was like, what's going on? Are you okay? And she's like, $10! And the person was like, What's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you, when all you've got is 10 bucks, 10 bucks is a huge deal. Uh, and, and it was one of those experiences. We made it. We obviously survived. God carried us through. And just if you're there right now, I just want to say to you, God did not take you this far. He's not taking you this far to drop you. Okay, some of you are like, I feel convinced that he's just going to drop me. He won't. He's going to take care of you. And he took care of us. But that story, we've often laughed about that. We look back on that. And it serves as a wonderful backdrop. Uh, for our, our study this morning is we're picking up this discussion of reconciliation. What does it mean for us to be reconciled to relationships that we've lost? Sometimes the wind of conflict just blows people away. And we've, we've developed some really unhealthy habits when it comes to lost relationships. And these lost relationships can happen anywhere. They can happen in our community as a church. They can happen uh, in our, our homes. It can be husbands and wives. It could be parents, children. It could be neighbors, uh, coworkers, just people that we're, we're once close with. And then conflict comes and they, and they just like blow away. And we've developed this process of just like going, okay, well, I guess they're gone. In fact, we have a couple of natural responses to conflict. Can any of you think of any natural response that we have that just kicks in, scientists tell us, kick in without any help from us at all? What is it? Fight, next. Fight or flight. We either fight it out with somebody in a conflict or we just flee. And that, that defines a lot of our relationships. And as we're, we're talking about reconciliation, we need to come to realize that God has a different plan for us. In fact, it's going to cost us, and we're going to have to invest some legitimate effort to restore some of these relationships that we lost because they're valuable. In fact, last week we talked about this. We often will invest more time and more effort to find a lost cell phone than to restore a lost relationship. Now, I'm not going to take us back to the anxiety and panic of last week, but it's a terrible feeling, right, when you lose a cell phone? Y'all agree? It's awful. Well, this week, we're going to talk about it from this perspective. We will often invest more effort to find lost money than we will a lost relationship. You ever lost some money? Great feeling, right? You know that moment when you're walking down the road and you got 100 bucks? Adults, you remember when 100 bucks was a ton of money? Students, it's still a ton of money, but there's adulting's hard. Oh, they just, it just seems like every time you make money, there's all these bills and stuff, and they just... It just, just goes away. Anyway, remember 100 bucks? Remember when we had cash? Oh, that was a great time. Um, and you're walking around, and you got that money in your pocket, and you're like, gosh, what am I going to spend it on? New pair of kicks. Uh, anyway, you go to pay. Maybe it's a Slurpee or whatever, and you want to break it down into 20s, and it's gone. That's awful feeling, right? What do you do to go find that, that bill? 
you do everything. You like retrace your steps. Where was I? You invest incredible amounts of thought, effort, and energy. Why? Because it's valuable. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, relationships, family, far more valuable. Relationships. And I'm talking about real relationships. I'm not talking just acquaintances. I'm talking about real relationships are more valuable than gold. They're more precious than possessions. And when our lives are weighed, they're going to really be weighed in the balance of relationship. What type of legacy are we leaving? Is it a legacy of reconciliation and love? Or is it a legacy of just fight or flight? Because sometimes that wind of conflict will just come and lift people out of our lives and we just go, well, you know what? That's okay. God, just give me another one. But here's the problem. With every lost relationship, we go deeper and deeper into relational debt. It's not that easy anymore. And as believers, we really can't take that approach of just, well, they're gone. The more we become accustomed to the emptiness and loss, we try to convince ourselves that it's okay, but I'll tell you it's not okay. And it's heartbreaking. We got to learn how to deal with conflict, family. Conflict is going to happen in any relationship. And I'll tell you, as believers, we, out of all people, need to be experts at how to handle conflict. Because it is the conflict and conflicts that happen between believers that are literally tearing communities of believers apart. And people look in and go, well, if they can't reconcile together, none of us have any hope. Firewheel, this church where you're sitting in right now. Maybe you're brand new. Maybe you've never been here before, and this is going to be a newsflash. But some of you, if you've been here long enough to know us, Firewheel has a, a legacy of conflict. This church. And I'm not just talking kind of conflict. I'm talking like brutal conflict. And it it creates like a residue. It coats things. Residue of conflict. And that breeze of conflict, maybe even blowing right now, where people are like prepared to just like let go and fly away. Without working towards a healthy restoration, that residue just gets thicker. And God has shown us as a leadership team that as a church, we need to not only seek out reconciliation with those who have been hurt historically here, but we need to put in place a better process of handling conflict. And then also as a leadership team, we've come to the painful reality that we're responsible for some of the conflict and some of the division that has taken place here in this this church. We have repented literally getting on our faces before God as a leadership team over a weekend, asking God for forgiveness, saying, Lord, we'll do whatever it takes to reconcile with those we've hurt. And that's not just as a leadership team, that's me personally as a pastor. In my short pastoral career of eight years, I have a long list of people I've harmed. It's painful. You know, I never woke up thinking, Man, I sure hope I get to hurt somebody today. I hope I wound them so deeply it takes years to recover. (laughs) But in self-deception and my own distortion, I've done just that. Sometimes I wonder why God downloads 
wisdom when he does? Why doesn't he give it to us sooner? You ever wonder that? God, I wish I had known that like three months ago. Sometimes God front loads stuff, gives it to you right in the minute, or sometimes he lets us wallow in our mess till we're finally so broken and so ready to listen that he goes, okay, here you go. In you go. Thank you, Lord. And there's a passage of scripture that has rocked my soul, and it won't let me go. And I pray that you, you feel the full weight of this, these verses as you're thinking about your own relationships, because I have to weigh mine. It's a painful balance I'm going through right now, but it's good. But here's the verses that rocked me, and I've, I've shown them to you the past couple of weeks. Please don't forget these. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24. Therefore, it's a passage set with conflict and anger and frustration and friction. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. And so here's the picture. A worshiper is coming. Old Testament would have been an an offering of an animal, but New Testament, we bring ourselves, we bring our love offering, we give, our, we give of our treasure, we give of our time and our energy, we're, we're offering our lives. And, and you come into the church, and there you realize that somebody has something against you. And in the context, it's a brother or a sister, not just speaking of family, but, but Christian family. We are a family. We are brothers and sisters. And we, we come and we realize huh, somebody has something against me, which is my favorite thought, right? I love thinking about all those people who have something against me. What is your typical response? What is the person's typical response when they think somebody has something against them? How was your bill? Tough noogies, man. I'm good. I'm going to worship. Well, here's the problem with that philosophy. God is more concerned with our, us having right relationships than with us coming to worship. That's weird to think about. And it's even weirder. If our relationships ain't right, our worship ain't never going to be right. Look at verse 24. He says, leave your gift. It's a beautiful gift. I love the gift. I think it's a great gift, but you got somebody out there you got to reconcile with. Go reconcile, be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Go. Go be reconciled with that fellow believer. Go be reconciled with your spouse. Go be reconciled with your children. Go be reconciled with that neighbor who, for whatever reason, he keeps mowing my side of the grass on a blade length that's way too short. You laugh. It doesn't take much. That person walked their dog, and I know they didn't pick up the mess after that because I just stepped in that mess, and they, I'm, t- I'm going I'm to go take my dog over to their yard. <laughs> Whatever the conflict is, you go and you, and you be reconciled to them. And what, what's interesting is, is I think through this, I'll tell you, it's tough. It's tough to admit that I've hurt somebody. It's tough to admit that I'm wrong. It's tough to ask for forgiveness. It's tough to give forgiveness. But you know what? Just because it's tough doesn't mean you avoid it. I love how as Americans and as people, we're trying to avoid the flu. So we go and we get the flu shot. Then we get all bent out of shape. I can't believe I got the flu. I can't believe this happened to me. I got the flu shot. Well, here's a news flash. You're going to get the flu. It's winter. And kids are breeding ground of germs, and they cough, and they hack, and they create things that scientists have never discovered, and they, God gives us these children, and they come around, and they get us sick, and us who have kids, we get you all sick. You're welcome. 
But before you get all proud and arrogant about it, think about this. You were once one of those kids breathing <laughs> germs on everybody. And I don't know why we're avoiding the flu so much. You know what? We actually, we might even become better people by getting the flu. Have you ever thought about that? Do you ever think God's like, you know what? This person will not rest. I tell them to rest. I make it a command. They've got to rest. They still don't rest. You know what? I'm giving them a virus. And then you rest. And it's so crazy because I see people after having the flu, they're like, I feel so rested. I can't believe I got the flu. I'm like, you realize those two things go hand in hand? Anyway, we're trying to avoid difficult things, but sometimes difficult things make us better. Don't avoid reconciliation just because it's hard. I'll tell you what's hard and painful, losing a relationship forever. Having a void in your life the size of that person and you being a void in their life. That's terrible. Reconciling, hard, but worth it. Leave your gift, go and be reconciled to them. That tells us that God places a higher value on relationships than even on our worship. So the question you may be having, that I may be having, is, well, how do I do it, preacher? Like, what's, what do I do? Like, how do I model it? Because I've seen it so poorly modeled. Because we respond just like everybody else. How do we do it? I wish there was a model like I never see countries do it or communities or believers. I may, maybe in your own life, you've never had anybody try to reconcile with you. And so you're like, how do I do it? I really wish there was a model. Can anybody think of somebody who has modeled it for us? Anybody? Has anybody modeled reconciliation for us? The answer to every single question in Sunday school is... Y'all get a gold star. The scriptures, God becomes our model. Luke 15, let's turn there. Luke chapter 15, don't zone out here. This is important. This could change everything. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Who is him? Who is he? That's Jesus. That's right. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're contagious. And so you've got two groups of people. You have the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're viewing the sinners and tax collectors, and the the Pharisees are inflating their own virtue, and they're inflating these guys' faults, and they're pointing them out, and they're saying, Jesus, you're you're eating with these sinners and these tax collectors. What What do you think the Pharisees and the scribes, what do you think they thought God should do to these people? Send them to hell. Kindle the fire of hell with these unrighteous people. And Jesus says, oh, no, it's way more scandalous. I don't just eat with them. Oh, you have have no idea of grace. I seek them out. I chase them down. And when I find them, I I don't scold them. I don't throw them into the gates of hell. Oh, I carry them in my arms. How does God reconcile lost relationships? God gives us three pictures, three parables. The same parable, really, from three different perspectives, three different uh, illustrations or stories. But the first one we looked at last week. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's not lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, since many of us are not shepherds or shepherdesses, we're just going to have to take the Lord's word for it that that's what we would do. So you go searching. Most churches, most Christians, most people, when they lose somebody, they just go, okay, God will send us another one. Or God will send me another one. What if God stops sending? Like if we can't handle conflict, what if God says no more relationships? That's kind of convicting. But he goes and he finds it. Why does he search after it? 
because it's valuable. And he, he's not seeking out going, oh, I can't wait till I get that bundle of wool. I'm making lamb chops tonight. He's not seeking it out to punish it. He's seeking it out because there's something in his life that's missing. It is the relationship with the sheep. So he goes and picks it up. He puts it on his shoulders. The sheep's like, bah. And he carries it. And he gets all the way home. And he does what? He throws a party. The sheep I've lost is now found. And everybody comes over and celebrates this sheep. Verse 7 just so I tell you there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. By the way, just in case we get confused, there's no such thing as a person who doesn't need repentance. What the Lord is pointing out is the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes and of religious people that they will never come because they never can convince themselves that they're lost so they never get picked up and get carried. So that one sheep, that sinner who knows they're lost, gets saved. But Jesus desires them all to be saved. Second illustration, just like Madeline opening her purse and the $10 bill blowing away, or what woman having 10 silver coins, a silver coin in this context is a drachma, uh, basically a day's wage, what a person would earn for a day of work was, was a drachma, silver coin. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And so the second illustration is of a woman who lost a coin. And what does she do when she loses it? Oh, that's cool. I'll get another one. No, it's valuable. It's like that $100 bill. It's like that $10 bill. We, we search for it, and she sweeps the house, and she searches for it diligently. But when she finds it, what does she do? She rejoices. Look at verse 9. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. You see, there's great rejoicing in a relationship that's been restored. And so we don't think that it's just about sheep and it's just about coins. Look at verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, that is one sinner who is reconciled. And so as we look at these two parables, and next week we'll look at the third parable, I want us to see how God seeks after lost things, lost relationships. And I think some of us may be sitting here going, well, that's, that's God's heart, but that's certainly not my heart. It should be. This should be our heart. To do whatever it takes to reconcile with brother or sister or wives or husband or friend or family or community or neighbors, there's nothing more important than the relationship with Christ, but secondly, the relationship with other people. We should not be okay with losing a single relationship. So for me, my list, we've been talking about a list. I have a list. So I've been making phone calls, writing letters and emails, uh, scheduling coffee and lunches. Um, not, com not complaining, not being a martyr or whatever, but you, know, you may have one or two relationships to reconcile. From my point, I've got dozens. So uh, just enjoy that thought for a minute. Um, because decisions I make have impact on people's lives. I need to own that. And some of the conversations have been rough. You know, some folks are like, well, you did this, 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 this. And I'm like, look, I'm sorry I hurt you. And I ask you for forgiveness. I deeply am sorry. And some folks have said that's not good enough. And I'm like, that's all I can give you. 
And I think some of our biggest fears of reconciliation is to have somebody say that to us. But here's the deal. I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm not carrying a debt into the conversation and saying, look, I'm sorry, but you need to pay my bill. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just coming to tell you I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're hurt. Some folks have said, I'm not ready yet. And I'm like, that's okay. Hey, I, I'm building the bridge as far as I can. When you're ready to put down some concrete, we can meet in the middle. It's going to be awesome. And some folks are like, let's start a fresh page today. And I got to tell you, you want to talk about joy. There's joy. There's freedom. It's wonderful. But some of you still may be wrestling with, like, how do I do this? How do we, how do we come together in a messy, broken way but have real reconciliation? Uh, some of you have, had, have asked me questions like, what if the person doesn't want to reconcile? You all wondering that? Are you all wondering this? No? no. Are you all awake? Are we all together right now? Are we at 2402 Castle Drive? Are we at Firewall Bible Fellowship? Good morning. Come on, y'all, I'm asking. Do you want to know that? How do I write? Okay. Um, what if the person isn't a believer? Have you thought about that? What about this? What role does forgiveness play in reconciliation? Do I have to forgive them? Here, here's a funny thought. Imagine if you go to reconcile with somebody, but they, you have a debt that they owe you. So you walk in and you go, hey, I'm really sorry I hurt you, but you're going to have to pay for this. How, how healthy is that going to be? You think that's going to work? No, that's not going to work out very well. And then you're going to walk away hurt, and you're going to go, you're going to have to pay for the old hurt and the new one you just caused. It's not reconciliation, family. What role does forgiveness play? We're going to look at that next week. Uh, how about this? What if I'm always the reconciler? I'm always the one that goes back, and I'm always the one that seeks forgiveness, and I'm always the one in, in this, this kind of cycle that you've created yourself out to be like a martyr, where you're like continually going to the cross on behalf of this other person. I want you to know you probably need that person to treat you poorly more than you realize. That's probably closer to codependency than, that's not reconciliation. Reconciliation involves boundaries too. Okay, there's a point where I can say, look, I love you and I forgive you and I want us to have a relationship, but I'm not going to let you go any farther because when you get into this little circle, this place where my heart is, you stomp around. Until you have some growth in that area, I just can't let you in because you wipe your feet on the doormat of my heart. I still love you. I'm, I'm, one series of messages isn't going to cure that for you, by the way, if that's what you struggle with. And that really does take processing and counseling and help. Um, but we'll talk about it. What if the other person's really wrong? How many of you really want to know about that one? What if they're really wrong? Right, Lola? Do you notice Matthew 5, 23 to 24 doesn't say anything about right versus wrong? Doesn't that irritate you? Because here's what I know. That person's wrong and I am right? I mean, they're way wrong and I'm really right. That's not the issue. The issue is someone's hurt. And we need to care far more about their pain and their hurt than who's right or wrong. Right? Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to set out to answer those questions. Again, this is an ongoing discussion, but I'm going to leave you with these two things. Two things you need to realize. One, reconciliation is not an option as a believer. We act like it is, but it's not. We bring our gift to the altar and there realize that our brother has something against us and we think, well, I can just kind of 
get around that one. No, we can't. Because right relationships lead to right worship. When our relationships are not right, neither is our worship. And so secondly, we should invest as much effort as it takes. I mean, an equal amount of effort we look for a lost cell phone or a lost $100 bill because relationships are valuable. And honestly, if we get into the habit of letting them all go, and people tell me that's what it's like. To, when you're a leader, Chris, you just got to let people go. I'm sorry. Where is the let them go passage? There are certainly some passages that talk about church discipline and things of that nature, and there are times where relationships get so fractured, but you tell me where it says in here, you let go of somebody that you love dearly, that you've prayed with, that you've worshiped with, that you've bled with. You can't find it. And we allow the breeze of conflict to just blow people away. And here's the deal. There might be a point where God just says, no more. I'm not going to send you any more deep relationships because you will not seek out reconciliation when conflict comes and because there's sinner and saint captured in every one of our bodies, there's going to be conflict. We have to learn how to deal with conflict. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you as a congregation, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you are moving here in this place, that you're moving not only in my heart, but our hearts together. Oh, it's hard. I can't think of anything harder, Lord, than to, to stare across the table at somebody that I've hurt or have been hurt by. And to allow forgiveness and grace and love to just permeate. I feel so right in my judgment of others that they owe me to the extent when I know I owe someone else, I just don't want to pay. Oh, Jesus. You've reconciled us to the Father by faith. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, please understand He's chasing you. He is seeking after you like a lost sheep. His desire isn't to beat you or throw you into the flame of hell. His desire is to save you and carry you, pick you up on His shoulders and love you and give you a life abundant forgiveness of sins, but you must first allow him. You must believe in him. The Bible says that all who believe in Christ, that his death, his burial, his resurrection, is paid for their sins, will be saved. Jesus wants to save you, but you must allow him. That's your heart, your desire. You want to be one of his sheep. In the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried and you've risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. Carry me. That's your heart's prayer. You've just passed from lost to found. <laughs> you're forever his child. Welcome home. Now you're a part of a big group of other wayward sheep. <laughs> it's a mess, but welcome home. We love you, Jesus. We pray most of all that you're glorified. We pray that more and more we're like you. In your name we pray. 
Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together. It's been a wonderful Sunday, convicting Sunday, but good. It's time for us to go into the world in peace. We are going to go out singing beautiful messes. Love this song. I pray that you have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved now. Call that person. Write that email. Schedule that coffee. And look across the table and tell them, you're loved. And I don't care so much about that. I care so much more about having a relationship with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.